You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and get it started. Thank you all so much for coming out to this breakout chapel. Um, I know that there's flex credit attached to it, but I'm so glad that you all are here. Um, so in case you haven't heard or you can't tell by observation at the front, we're doing a little bit of a different sort of take on breakout chapel, and we hope that it's a little bit of a break, a little refreshing, fun for you all. Um, so these lovely Asbury community members have volunteered um, to talk a little bit with us about just post-grad life, which is something that's very prevalent for hopefully all of us. Um, and so hopefully you'll think of some questions as we're going through. We'll have a structured time at the beginning where I have a couple questions that I've sent them beforehand um, that they'll be answering. And then we'll have 10 to 15 minutes at the end for you all to answer, to ask questions and for them to answer. Um, and then we'll have a few things after that and then we'll be good to go. All right. <coughs> all right, so to get started, we'll just go down the row. And if each of you could just introduce yourself, um, if you've graduated, when you graduated, uh, just that sort of thing, typical introduction stuff. My name is Chris Sigury Lewis. I'm one of the art professors here. I've been teaching here since 2005, going towards the 20-year mark. And I went to school here. I was an Asbury student from 1994 to 1998. I'm the commission class um, painter. I own my own painting, my own S-Corp, Sigury Lewis Fine Arts, and I show nationally. So. I'm Bethany Donahue. Um, I'm an Asbury grad, um, a recent graduate uh, of the class of 21, the appointed class. Um, and I have stayed around the area. I work at um, First Alliance Church as their guest services coordinator. Um, and before that, I worked there in tandem with also being the assistant director at the WGM Student Center here on campus. So that's what I did for a year after graduation. So I kind of kept some Asbury connections and it's good to still be in the area. Uh, Kevin Brown, <laughs> I, uh, administration. Um, I graduated from college in 2000, the year 2000, so 23 years ago. I taught in the School of Business here from 2013 to 2019. And I started in this role when many of you started at Asbury. So it is really a privilege to just be with you here for this chapel, and especially uh, this, this last turn, this last lap, uh, for many of you in your college experience. Dan Lewis, I get to teach here a little bit as a uh, Howard Dayton School of Business professor. I work for a for-profit company that gives away money to Christian Endeavor, locally and globally, and I'm an Anglican priest ordained to the university and the marketplace. And chaplain of the baseball team, too. Nice. Thank you all. This is exciting. Um, so the way that this is structured, I already explained this in a little bit, but I'll explain it to you all. So for these eight scripted questions... Yeah. It's sort of just popcorn. Whoever wants to answer first, if you feel like you have a good answer, go ahead and speak up. If multiple people want to answer a question, that's great, but hopefully at least one of you will answer each one. And if you really just don't feel like you have a good answer to a question, not, no pressure to answer it. Okay, so I'll just go ahead and hop in with the first one. So if you could have told yourself one thing to know immediately after graduating college, what would it have been? I'll jump in. <laughs> 
So Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That takes all the pressure off. <laughs> so all I need to do is ask God to give me spiritual eyes, get wise people around me, and have the ears to listen. I work very hard to try and work out God's will and not listen to God's will until somebody corrected me. And this helped me just enter in. It's just like in Finding Nemo when Crush says to Squirt, grab shell, dude. That's life in the Holy Spirit. And just imagine every morning is grabbing shell, dude. With with the relationship with God and see what adventure that brings you on. You know, I, I will say, um, during my commencement ceremony for, for graduation, which was kind of funny because the person who went down, went across the stage in front of me, like, had all kinds of, like, cum laude, and they did this and this and this, and then it was just Kevin Brown. And the audience actually began to laugh because oh, no. the contrast. And I was like, uh, uh, took the diploma. Um, and I don't remember the speaker. He had something to do with the UN. But during his talk, he was like, what, what are you going to do when you graduate? And I was like, you're asking some good questions. Uh, like, I have no idea. Like, I really should think about that. And I, if I could go back to myself at that time, and I, especially when I was advising students academically, I spent a lot of time talking to them about the future. And this idea that you have to know exactly what you want to do, you have to even perhaps have a dream job, you have to have things lined up when you're done. It's just false. You really don't at all. And I think that creates a lot of stress and anxiety for people that is just unnecessary. And the example I give, I, I remember vividly, well after school, like, I really want to teach. And there was a lot that went into even formulating that. And it was still another seven years after that before I was actually able to do that, but it did allow me to make some meaningful overtures during that time. So the advice I would give to myself and I would certainly want to give to you is walk in in the path as it's illuminated, but you don't have to have that, that future path illuminated in some broad 5, 10, 30-year way. Uh, just take that meaningful next step, whatever it is, and... It'll work out, um, but you don't have to have the plan right away. I would totally agree with that. I would say uh, after graduation, I did have a job lined up, which was a gift. Um, I did not have a place to live, so I spent a couple um, months living with friends. I lived at the WGM Student Center for a while, um, and through that experience, I just saw how God provides um, and God provides through his people. And so um, I would say I wish that I would have known that it's okay to like be in that place where you say, I need help, like, I need a place to stay, um, and to reach out um, to the body of Christ um, when they offer that help. You know, I'm, I'm an art person, obviously, but I, I wasn't always an art person, and I had a lot of pressure from my family to not be an art person. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, when I told my parents, I think I want to do art, they said they're not going to help me with college anymore. That was their response. But when they saw my work, when I graduated, they're like, oh, this guy's an artist, and then they changed their tune. And there was this moment years later where the, the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce, I'm friends with the guy who's ran it a number of states, he commissioned me to do a work, and, I, and my dad is a, you know, he's always been interested in politics and political science and stuff, and we went to deliver this commission and it was a big commission for this in Frankfurt, and Rand Paul was in there, and everybody like left Rand Paul sitting alone in a room to come and see my painting. <laughs> and for some reason, my dad was never an art person. That really like moved him. Mm-hmm. He's like, "What's going on here?" He's like, "This guy is." And, and just backtrack just a little bit here. When I left, the point what I'm saying here is I was also a comm major, and you need to allow the Lord to teach you to do what he knows you're supposed to do. Mm. What I mean by this is that you think you know yourself, but God God actually knows you better than you know yourself. And I know that's like, sounds like a big deal, but like I literally was resisting the very thing I was made to do because I just didn't know myself well enough. And that comes through intimacy with the Lord. It's like, if you've never pictured yourself, you know, it's like, I perceive there's people here who will do multiple things that you've never even thought about, but you've heard a whisper from the Holy Spirit, and you just need confirmation to back it up, and it's like, not part of your worldview at all. If somebody told me I was going to be an artist, I would have been like, no way. No way. I mean, there's just no way. And um, But when you get that word from the Lord that doesn't make sense, it's like the Gideon word, where it's like Gideon is threshing wheat, and he's like afraid, and then an angel shows up and says, hail mighty, mighty man of valor. You know that, that scripture? It's like, it's completely opposite to everything you know about Gideon. But he's like identifying the identity in heaven of Gideon. So I just encourage you, it's like, rather than saying, this seems like the right thing to do, go before the Lord and say, who am I? What have you called me to do? And I'm, I will listen, and I won't write anything off the table. So. That's awesome. Thank you. That was really good. Um, all right, so the next question, y'all, a couple of you touched on this a little bit. So you can explain more if you want, or you can just skip it. Um, but what was one thing that you struggled with the most after graduation? How did you overcome that struggle? And you can sort of take whatever view on this you want. It can be not finding a job could be your struggle and your career life. It can be your personal life. It can be your spiritual life. Um, just whatever you feel like would be helpful. I can start on this one. Um, so I already said I didn't have a place to live for a couple months, and then I moved into a little apartment. Um, I was engaged when I, like, shortly after I graduated, so I, anyway, I knew that we'd be getting married in the fall and this would be where we'd live. Um, so it was a little bit post-graduation, um, but, like, right after we got married in the fall, like, that following winter was really hard for me. Um, just, like, some seasonal depression stuff, um, but then, like, a big root of it, too, as I, like, talked with some wise friends and talked with a counselor um, was I didn't realize that like post-graduation you're so focused on maybe like what you're doing for work or um, social life and different things like that like you actually have to learn to manage like I need to clean my house I need to go grocery shopping I need to cook and all of that takes time budgeting and and all these were things that like I knew needed to get done, but I had no plan for getting them done. Um, so just a really practical encouragement would be um, have some like life admin hours set apart in your schedule. Um, I think that'll just save you some stress and um, 
No, I think that, that that created some questions of worth even in myself of like, why can't I do this? And it took people speaking truth in my life to say like, you can totally do this, you just need a little bit of a plan. Yeah, really practically, I, I didn't go to bed before midnight when, when I was in college, so uh, that was like early. And, and yeah, when I started working, um, I had to adapt to a morning schedule. And then I, I remember reading a psalm around that time that early in the morning, I will worship you like that. God gets my first fruits. And so to wake up even an hour earlier and um, to start to build a morning routine. But when students have asked me about this, I've said that was the biggest change in my life, um, going to an orderly routine in the morning um, to, to start my day, to give the very beginning of my day to devotional time and solitude, and it changed everything. So I was never a morning person, and now I, I am. That was a big adjustment. I had an Asbury student reflect on this two years out of school. This is what she said, which I thought was awesome. She said, at Asbury, I just felt like I got cookies everywhere. Like, there were just cookies everywhere. That, like, was fun. And, and then I got out and started working, and I couldn't find any cookies. <laughs> and I have to really go look for the cookies. And I think that's a part of the reality. Do you remember being in eighth grade, King of the Hill? And then you were a freshman in high school. It's that same kind of emotional roller coaster. The thing that changes everything is not get your head off the pillow until you're convinced that through Jesus you are God's beloved. So if I hear of God's beloved and then I go into a bank job, which I did, and I was low man on the totem pole, doesn't matter. God of the universe calls me beloved. And that's not to excuse hard work above, but you'll, you'll face some hardships and some loneliness, and you'll face opposition. Jesus loves you, and nobody can take away your birthday. <laughs> Tell yourself that in the mirror. Hear God say beloved, and then get into this transition then from lots of cookies <coughs> to probably no cookies. <laughs> that was fun. That was good. <laughs> uh, I find it was difficult, and I, advice I'd give is, is that you need to know what God has called you to do. And sometimes what He's called you to do will not be cookies. <laughs> that's, that's the way I put it, where I felt like He was causing me to make choices that felt like I was living in poverty for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And literally, I was living beneath the poverty, le- poverty level. But I made those choices because he said, don't go out here and take this job in Oklahoma. Like, don't do this. Be connected to your church locally. And it was like a waiting period of time. So I did a lot of very, the word's not, what's the word? It's not menial jobs, but like very just like working class jobs for a long period of time and learning to know the Lord in those jobs like, Stonemason, mm-hmm. waited tables for years, worked at a car dealership. And <coughs> then the challenge was do I take these bigger jobs that may lead me down a road away from where my calling is? 
So with my father's advice, I mean, I had a job, a managerial job that was coming up, and I got the job of like a restaurant, a corporation, something like that. And my dad warned me, and he, I grew up in small business, he said, Chris, I'm encouraging you not to take this job, because if you take this job, it'll be 60 hours a week, and it will lead you away from your calling. Mm -hmm. And that was surprising for him to say. So I would just be, I'd be aware of what God has called you to do, and sometimes it feels like you're in poverty, but it's just for a season. It's kind of like, think about Joseph in the prison. There'll be seasons where it's like, it feels like I'm going nowhere, but faithfulness is a key for those seasons where it feels like, well, I'm like, especially when student loan bills came in, I felt really like depressed <laughs> and having to pay those things off felt like a heavy burden, but you will pay them off. It will happen. And so just stay the course, listen to the voice of God, even when it feels like, what are you doing here? What am I doing in this, this job that's not going anywhere? What am I doing as a grunt worker? Every job I ever took built who I am. And I th I'm thankful for every single job I ever had from when I was a kid. Every job, including when I was in high school, I worked as a teller, as a checker in Walmart. Like Every job I ever did helped me. Working in the restaurant where I'm speaking to 30 people taught me how to speak in front of people in a class. Every single job I ever did. The care I gave to like refinishing homes in Lexington, like on a ladder, these old homes, helped me like build stretchers, probably be careful with paintings. I guess that's the advice is that God uses every single thing you do and it may feel wasted, but it's not wasted. Mm -hmm. That's great. Okay, on to our next question. Um, so this one is, we're asking for more of like practical, uh, specific things. Yeah. So I don't have a job lined up yet after graduation. What should I do? So what are some practical tools that students can use to help them find a job after graduation? Two things I would say. My dad was a Greyhound bus driver for 35 years. Drove from New York City to Montreal and back. And when people asked him when he was in his 70s, what did he do? You've been in my class, you've heard this story. And his response was, by the grace of God, I married a great woman and we raised three great kids. What did you do? You can, and then this was the counsel my dad gave to me. You can always make a living. So if you work, you can always, and, and coupling on my younger brother, Chris Segre, with us, we related, we don't know how, but <laughs> sorry. So. Adam, Adam. Uh, there you go. Uncle Adam. So you can always make a living, but what do you want to be? You can always pay your bills, but what do you want to be? So that's number one. I'll let people go, and there's time I'll get number two. Very practically, I would say network. And one of the misconceptions about networking is that you have to know people and you don't. Um, <coughs> networking just relates to what is a field of interest that you want to gain more information in and who are some people that you can reach out to to either shadow them or have coffee and just learn more about that. And I'm at Asbury today because I heard about <coughs> a former banker who transitioned into Christian higher education, and I sent a blind email to this person, it was Dr. Gray, Sandra Gray, and I just said, I'm a banker, I'd like to transition into Christian higher education, can we meet? And that was like in 2005, and she connected me with Dr. Steve Clements, and he and I had coffee every summer from like 2009 to 2013, and then in 2013, he was like, hey, we have this job open, 
I'd like to talk to you about it. And so that's just one example of many of networking, but it doesn't, it's not working through channels that you may actually have defined. It might be forging some new ones. And there's just, it's actually not that unusual at all to say, I'm so-and-so, uh, this is my field of interest, this is what you do, I'd love to learn more about it. And people will be very accommodating to sharing information and knowledge and to give up their time uh, for individuals that want to explore more. And that's a great way to foray into new fields and create new opportunities. Again, very practical. Great. I don't really have much to add to this, and I want to get to point two, so. That's all right. That's great. <laughs> practical things. I mean, I think networking is key, too. I mean, the reason why I had originally gone to grad school, but it seemed like it was a dim vision where I'm like, I just don't know if I can do it. I just, I just didn't have enough confidence. And it, the networking was, sometimes God will put people in your life who will give you a word about the direction to go that it's like the burning bush. It's like God waited for Moses to be enticed by the bush that was burning but not be consumed. And when Moses turned towards the bush and said, I'm going to see this thing, then God spoke back to him. So sometimes God will set up these little things that may look insignificant in your life and you're like, oh, what's that? For me, it was um, Suzanne Gary, who's my wife's aunt. Um, she used to work here for many years in library. She said, hey, Chris, you know, like, UK is offering a free, free grad school course to anyone that free post that course. You should, you should take this. Because at that time, I was making so little money. My wife thought, let's try this. Because we had this dream of going to grad school and art together, which we did. My wife and I went and did painting in grad school together. And that course, I got set up with the one Christian in the entire UK art program who had gone to Asbury in 1959 and got kicked out <laughs> for something. I don't know. And he was looking for a mentor. He was looking to redeem his past. Mm. And I was looking for a grad school person to like show me how to walk this path with theology and art and to be a phenomenal painter. Like that was my goal. And that was just meet this little burning bush like hey there's a free grad school course and that man changed my destiny <coughs> and Suzanne Gehring just through networking said that little moment changed my course I couldn't have planned that let's put it that way so sometimes something will pop up where it may seem like nothing may seem insignificant but there's a scripture that says don't like look down at the insignificant days yeah. it just may just pop up so just keep your eyes open I think you have time for your second one. Okay. One of the seven habits of highly effective people is start with the end in mind. I think it's important that as you walk across the aisle, shake Kevin's hand, get your diploma, you ask yourself that question, what is my end in mind? If it's not well done, good and faithful servant, I'd love to talk to you. If it is, then you enter... My generation dealt with career paths. Very stressful because if dad was an architect, you're an architect, or you went to school for something, you that's what you did for 30, 35 years. We have named a new word, journey. It's a great word. We've journeyed together in this thing. But I think the better word for you is odyssey. You're going to be on an odyssey. But if the end in mind is the one who owns it all, redeemed you and can say well done good and faithful servant that puts everything else in perspective that's great 
Okay, I'm going to go ahead and skip down to our last question just to have time for everyone to ask questions, and hopefully these questions have got your mind spinning. So go ahead and start thinking. Some have them loaded. Uh, so, what's your favorite thing about this period? And you can just pick one. I know there's a lot that you're thinking about. Students and community. Nice. In, in the revival, <clears throat> midway through, I traveled. And I was at a, a store, and I knew the person was a Christian because they had prayer requests in there. It was a juice store. And I had an Asbury baseball hat on, and I said, you're a Christian. And she said, yes. I said, have you heard what's happened in Asbury? And she said, oh, no, another shooting. Oh. <laughs> said that. that was her. And I've got that response multiple times. What is incredible about Asbury? God shows up here in, yeah. in ways. Everywhere he does. But you guys have been marked. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. God has shown up in a mighty way. And it's for you, for him. But it's significant. The best thing about Asbury is the potential that this room holds because you are God's A plan and there is no B plan. For me, it's, it's, it's the presence of the Lord. I never heard of Asbury. It was like, went to this Catholic school on the east coast of Florida that like, my friends are surfer friends. We'd surf after school and somebody, somebody's daughter went here. You know Steve Schiffler? Do you remember? Yeah. yeah. His sister, Adrian, went here. And his oh, mom, yeah. I'd just become a brand new believer, was in the prayer group in the Catholic school with my mom. So, yeah, you heard about the school school? Like, Asbury, like, what? Like, all my family went to the University of Florida. And um, when I came here, I visited in 1993 fall as a perspective. We, as we were leaving, I was outside of Hughes where all the people were lined up a couple weeks ago. And I heard the voice of the Lord say, my rain is going to fall on this place again. I'm changing your destiny today. Wow. And that's why I came. And I've come to learn that there's very few places on the earth where God has continuously moved <coughs> over and over again every generation. Mm. Asbury's one, the Hebrides Islands in Scotland is another, and Jerusalem, Israel is the other. And it's like, it's a thin place. It's a riverbed where when water flows, it knows where to go. And it's very, very peculiar. And people know this place across the world, even though we seem to be significant. Before the revival, people knew this place. And it's a presence-centered community. And it's like, it's different than other places. I know the other Christian schools. I've gone to other places with other Christian professors. This place is different, and I've led mission trips where other Christian schools have gone and in other countries, and they say Asbury students are different than every other Christian school in America. And that's why I love it. Good answer. Kevin's taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Fire> Chris. <laughs> um, John 15, um, abiding in Jesus. Um, if you remain in me, if I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. Um, has been like a marking passage, and I think that um, that was something that during my time here at Asbury, um, I got to dwell in a lot. Um, and I think that something that's unique about Asbury and really plays into like God's presence here is there's an understanding that like God doesn't just want like your Sunday morning worship. God wants your whole life, and God cares about you. Like if you're in the church and you're working in a church, God cares about you. If you're working in the marketplace, God cares about you in the medical field. Like God cares about you 
uh, in a restaurant, like wherever he has set you, like his presence is with you. Mm. Um, and I think that Asbury understands that in a unique way. Um, it's really easy, just like in the broader culture and even broader Christian culture, to think like, okay, like this is the worship part of my life. This is my quiet time. And then I go on to the rest of my day. Um, and I think here at Asbury, a lot of that is broken down. Um, and that that wall is broken down where it's, we have an understanding that we have the Holy Spirit. And we have um, Christ abiding with us. And that changes how we live. That's great. Thank you all for those answers. That was really good. All right, now we're going to open it up to about 10-ish minutes of questions. Um, and part of our purpose of doing this is acknowledging that there's that graduating is sort of a double-edged sword. There's the amazing part. It's super exciting. I'm graduating. I'm about to become an adult finally for real, and that's great. But then there's also the side of it that is extremely stressful, stressful and anxiety-inducing and hard, um, and you're losing a lot of friendships. You're losing a lot of built-in community. Um, and so these questions are kind of open to both sides of that. Like, how do you deal with the great and the bad at the same time? Um, so, yeah, you all can just raise your hand and I'll call on you. And then whichever one of you all feel called to answer, you can. Or if you have one for someone specific, that's great, too. Um, maybe this is just my experience. But, like, kind of our whole lives we, like, look to college. What would you say to students who fear that, like, college is their peak? So Bruce Springsteen has a song called Glory Days. <laughs> and you start going to high school reunions and you figure out the people that that was their people. The fact is, Allison, you have already beaten that because you're addressing that. And let us not lose heart in our well-doing. For in due time we shall reap if we don't grow weary. A lot of people grow weary. Stop learning. Stop serving. Stop relating. And the pinnacle is Cracker Barrel at 4 o'clock, backing in so you can get home and watch World News Tonight, Jeopardy, and Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> that is not retired. You know <laughs> that sounds good to you, doesn't it? <laughs> but retirement's not in the Bible. And again, if you take my class, I'll give you $500 if you can find it. So ascend from here. This is the launch point. And don't ascend in your marriage. Ascend in your learning. Ascend in your serving. Ascend in your intimacy with Jesus. You're launching. You're not stopping. It's a good question. Great. Thank for being um, just graduating. It's, I guess, how do you look at life and the challenges that you'll face with excitement and mm-hmm. I don't know, anticipation instead of like worry and anxiety? I say this is that there's a lot of bad theology in the church, and one of them is this idea that God moves a long time with us, which is not true. God is completely himself, fully himself in every single moment he's in the complete now so right now God is with Adam and Eve God is with Jesus' return God is with Moses on the mountain God is on the transfiguration there's nothing new even though he does new things 
he's not surprised, and he's already there. Mm. And I, this is why it's so important to get God's word for the future, because he will give you something where, from where he already is and bring it back to you to encourage you. That's what a prophetic word is throughout scripture. It's like, it does that because he's already there. He already knows where you are. He already knows you're married and have children. He knows your sons and daughters, and he knows your grandchildren, and he's already in relationship with them in his perspective. Does it make sense? So it's like we're thinking what's going to happen. He's like, I'm already enjoying you in heaven. <laughs> you know, it's like he's fully in, in the complete now, completely eternal, completely immutable, never growing. Does it make sense? So it's like, <clears throat> let me put it this way. During COVID, my... You know, there's, there was a lot of fear that immediately came out. And my son, oldest son Noah, asked me to pray over him. And I prayed over him. Sorry for such a problem. I was like, I had this picture of him having six children. And I was like, Noah. And he's like, he was like 10 or 11. I see you with many children. And then my wife told me this later. They're in the car. And they were like, when COVID started to get really the fear. And then there was fear on the radio. There's fear everywhere. And then my son Noah said, I'm not afraid. The Lord has already shown me I'm going to have kids, so I'm going to be there. I'm going to have children one day, so I'm going to get through this. And this is where the scripture and knowing who God is and that he's already there and that he has a future for you that he's already holding, holding tight. You have to get this knowledge of the future of, as God is already there and that he already knows you and you are there with him. We are seated with him with Christ in high places. That's an eternal positioning. When you get that, it changes your perspective on life. I mean, it's like, that makes sense. And like, so like when he told me he's changing my destiny, I met my wife here, my children, and he'd already called them before the beginning of the creation of the world. But I couldn't see that, but he was already there. And we have to like get into this position with the true God. Preach. Well, good note. Would you guys say that either from starting after college, like right after college, or even now today, or like some tactics, um, given that our lives are super busy on a cluster and everything else going on in life or some tactics like you either have your daily, weekly, or whatever else of what you use to be able to keep that intimacy in the relationship with the Lord. I can start with this one. Um, I started this before graduation. It looked different um, than it does now, but a Sabbath has been life-changing for me. Um, you get out of You get out of college and you're going to be like, super focused on maybe what job you're doing or what's next or if you're moving um, and the thing I love about Sabbath is it comes every seven days regardless of like the other things that are happening in your life um, and that's just been a space for me to like breathe and be with God um, and it's taken like a lot of intentionality to to work hard like really hard those other six days um, and also prepare um I turn my phone off um, for, it's about 20 hours, because I um, work in a church and my Sabbath is on Saturday, um, so I need to like check messages and emails um, Saturday night to get ready for Sunday morning, um, but that's just giving me a space to be with God, um, and so I would encourage you, like, there's a whole lot of teaching out there on Sabbath, and um, I've loved John Mark Comer's Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Um, and he has like a podcast if that's your thing too um, but that has been a very life giving practice um, for me 
Yeah, I would quickly say, Noah, you I, I, I often talk about a guy named Richard Taylor. I'd say he's the best author you've never heard of. Um, he wrote this book. It's this super generic jacket. It's so old. like it, Nothing about it is attractive. It's one of the best books I've ever read. It's just called The Disciplined Life. And he has this great quote that there are thousands of naturally talented or brilliant people who will never rise above mediocrity because they won't make the sacrifices superiority requires. And he's talking about discipline. That discipline ironically precedes our liberty. Uh, we think of liberty or freedom as being unshackled from these, these practices and rhythms to our life, but it's actually those rhythms that allow us to experience freedom. And so I think having an orderly schedule is incredibly important, making time for those things that are important. And that includes relationships. Have y'all seen this study that we, I mean, there have been a bazillion studies like this, but a guy from all the way from the 70s that happiness, life satisfaction is just so intensely correlated to real and meaningful relationships. And I would say, especially after college, the wind does not blow in the direction of community. You have to be really deliberate about that. You have to be deliberate about your friend group and spending time together. You have to be deliberate about your church participation. I joined a basketball league. Like You, you have to wake up and say, <laughs> how am I putting myself into meaningful spaces of community and real and meaningful relationship because that won't happen accidentally. But I do think it's fundamental as well as those other disciplines uh, to, to having life satisfaction and a meaningful life post-university life. All right, now you had a question. We'll wrap up with this one just to honor our time. I mean, it was kind of going off of like what you said, but like because Adbury provides like kind of that structured community, it really took me a couple years, like despite that, to like establish a like community I'm confident in and like of course now that I have those relationships I'm leaving so like how do you I guess like one of the lessons I've learned for me is like community isn't something that's given to you you kind of have to work for it too um so I guess like my question is like post-grad how do you like how do you uh, be intentional about finding those relationships like starting that does that make sense I feel like it's you kind of answered it already but. two two thoughts Seek Jesus intentionally in a community and serve regularly the Lord in community. If you look at the first church, they were a missional community and they experienced community even deeper than here. But it was those two factors, seeking the Lord's teachings together and then serve together. Find those places, you'll find the people that uh, my friend Dale Ditto says, we become the average of the five people we hang around with the most. And so, do what you want to be having people doing as well that's around you. Can I jump on that yeah. real, real quick? Vulnerability and growth. Um, there's a study that, not study, it's a theory. That you've probably heard of peeling back the onion before. It's a calm theory um, that if you want to be more intimate with people, you have to be more vulnerable. And there's a difference between vulnerability and transparency. Transparency is a business word many times, but vulnerability is a relational word. Mm -hmm. So you have to be willing to grow and you have to be willing to reveal yourself. And people, sometimes if you want to go closer with people, you have to like pull back the onion. And that's what's hard for a lot of folks. And then I agree with that, it's just serving folks. It's thinking outside of yourself and putting yourself in position 
to love. And then I guess the third element I would say is take the word of God as like this high challenge to yourself. Don't think about it outside yourself. So when, for me, when I got out of here, I heard, I, I took a scripture and I took it to the Lord. It's like, I'm going to test you on this. And the scripture was, mm-hmm. knock and the door will be open or seek and you shall find. When you seek me with all your heart, knock and the door will be open, ask and you shall receive. I said, okay, I'm going to seek you. I remember the semester I graduated from here because I wanted to find him in the ways that I saw him in scriptures. Like, I need to know you're the God of the scripture and that you're exactly who you say you are. So I said, I'm going to seek you and I'm going to expect to find you. And that semester after was the changing point of my entire life. That was the hand. It was not in Asbury. It was actually that semester afterwards that I learned intimacy. I learned that I was completely his. I learned that he's the God outside of Asbury, that he is like shows up. And the principle in scripture is Elijah is following Elijah all these years. And then Elijah goes up into heaven and then the mantle falls. And then the first thing Elisha says is like, it's like, like show me like that you're the God of Elijah. Like, you know, show, are, am I this person? And he strikes the water. And he immediately tests and figures out, oh, God is with me like he was with Elijah. So it's like sometimes you leave here, you have to know that God is with you, not just with you because you're here. And he's, he will show up. Everything else is wrapped up in that. That's great. Well, thank you all so much for being here today and speaking to us. Um,